Today's reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 16 through 27. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that you will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you remember the first time you ever waited in line. I remember mine, it was when I was in first grade. And I waited in line with my mother to get my vaccinations for school. Do you remember the first time you waited in line? For me, waiting in line to get your vaccinations when you're seven years old is horrifying. And the only consolation I had was that in front of us in that line was Kevin Hamilton, who was a year younger than me in kindergarten. And I remember making a wager with God. I remember thinking, God, if Kevin Hamilton can go in that door and he can come out and he's alive and there's not blood coming out from under the door, there's not screams of cries of pain, if Kevin, if Kevin Hamilton can get through that door, I can too. It didn't help much that my pediatrician's name happened to be Dr. Slaughter. And he was the pediatrician to my older brothers too. And so my mother used to try to console me by saying, Blake, he was the pediatrician to both of your older brothers. He's very good at what he does. <laughs> when was the first time you remember waiting in line? And the truth is we're all waiting in line. We are all waiting in line to die. Now, that seems like a strange thing to say that we're waiting in line for, but it's true, isn't it? We're all waiting in line for death, as it were, to call our number. Listen, our nation is more divided than ever, but we are unified on one very clear truth. We all hate death. The coronavirus has shown us this. The economy has shut itself down. The entire world has come to a screeching halt because we hate death. I mean, everywhere that you look, from the White House briefing room to research, there are signs that say you must have your temperature taken. You must only go in. One person from the car must go in. The rest of the family needs to wait outside. We have very specific instructions to teach us how we can do very ordinary things. Why? Because we all 
hate death. We're all waiting in line. We're not alone in this, of course. We've devised thousands, tens of thousands of ways to take a life in war. But we have yet to devise a way that can ultimately rescue one from death. And I don't know about you, but we have a deep fear of death. And we're in good company because so do the two sisters that we read about in John chapter 11. Mary and Martha find themselves in a moment of great trial. Their brother, Lazarus, whom they love, is dying. We don't know if Lazarus was the older brother or the younger brother, but the text seems to suggest that he was the younger brother because in Luke chapter 10 and here in John chapter 11, these great stories of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, Lazarus doesn't seem to have the same responsibilities as the sisters. And here they are watching their younger brother succumb to death. And they cry out for the only remedy that they know to death, their friend Jesus, who loved their family deeply. And they cry out to him, and it seems as though Jesus is not in much of a hurry. And this very famous passage in John chapter 11 teaches us two things about death and resurrection that I want us to think about this morning. The first is this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that God has the power over death. Did you know that Jesus hates death too? He is indignant to death. After the passage that the Bedale family read, down in verse 33, it says that Jesus was moved in spirit. He was deeply moved. And then again in verse 38 of John chapter 11, it says Jesus was deeply moved at the news of the death of his friend Lazarus. In Greek, the word deeply moved means to snort. It's the image of a horse snorting in anger and in rage. This is our Savior. It is a word that you cannot withdraw anger and indignation from. Jesus hated death. And in the New Testament, there are two words for death. There are two deaths. Did you know that? I wonder if you knew that. The first, of course, is a physical death, a death that we all experience one day, a death that Lazarus himself experienced. But there's also a spiritual death, a second death, a death that is actually the root of the first death. And the Bible tells us that it is possible, it is possible to experience the first death without having experienced the remedy of the second death. And if you die physically before you are able to find the cure to your spiritual death, then you will die without the presence of God's mercy and of his grace. Friends, Jesus hates death. And in this passage, he comes to show us that he is the power over death because he gives us a foretaste of the resurrection. Notice in the text that Jesus shows Martha that he has the power over death. The story goes that, that they call for Jesus and, and he delays two more days. You would think that Jesus would get on his horse and ride to comfort the family that he deeply loved in Bethany. It was a two-mile journey, the text tells us in verse 17. 
And Jesus comes, and when he's on his way, Martha hears it, and Martha runs out to meet him. And, and Jesus, in a sense, rewards Martha for her faith in coming to him. And, and she comes to him with a kind of indignation of her own. She says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus then says, oh, Martha, your brother will live. And Martha says, well, I know my brother will live. I know he'll be raised again in the resurrection. She was a good Jew. She knew good Jewish theology. And Jews believe that at the end of time, the dead will be raised again. That's not the kind of resurrection Jesus was talking about. Jesus says to Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't need to be present to heal people. In John chapter 4, I healed the official son without even needing to be present by his boy. I know you know good doctrine. I know you know good theology. But I am the resurrection. And friends, what this teaches us in the text is that as Christians, you might know good theology. You might be able to tell the people in the room who may not be Christians themselves all about what the Bible says, but the point Jesus is trying to make to Martha is that there's a difference between knowing the doctrine and knowing the person. The resurrection teaches us that our faith is not an esoteric philosophy. Our faith is rooted and grounded in a person who was raised from the dead, who has the power to raise from the dead, and who himself, just days later, experiences death in agonizing pain that we celebrate on a Good Friday, and a glorious resurrection that we celebrate today. Jesus didn't experience, just experience resurrection power, but he is resurrection power that he shows us and proves to us is true by his own resurrection. You know, it's interesting to me that while many of us may espouse to know much about theology, there is, again, a vast difference between knowing what Martha knew, good theology, and meeting the one who is the resurrection and the life. And I wonder, as you wait in line, in the line of death, I wonder if you know the resurrection and the life. Do you know him personally? He's here. He's calling out your name. You can. He's the only one who can rescue us from the spiritual death from which we all need to be rescued. You know, there's an old preacher story that is told about a family who, um, on a beautiful spring day, went on a picnic. And while they're at the picnic, um, a bee bothers their family and is buzzing around the food and is, is bothering the daughter. And the father grabs his daughter and wraps his strong arms around his daughter to protect her from the bee. And the bee lands on the father's arm and he stings the father. And the father looks in the eyes of his little girl and he says, There. The stinger is out. You're safe. And at the resurrection, friends, Jesus looks at us, wraps his arms around us, and he personally says to us, look, the sting of death is out. You're safe from your fear. And while we'll all experience a physical death, we do not need to experience a spiritual death. And there is a way that you can escape that spiritual death, and it's called faith. It's what Jesus called Martha to in this passage. It's what he calls Mary to later. It's what he calls us all to right now on Easter Sunday. 
to recognize that the sting of death is sin. The cause of death is that three little word, sin. And Jesus has taken the sting for us and he has rescued us from it. The first thing that we learn about death, about the resurrection, is that the resurrection is the power over death, both spiritually and then ultimately when we're raised with him, also physically. Isn't that good news? It's amazing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O grave, is your victory? And so we, in the same way, get to shout today, where is your sting? As we wait in line, where, O death, is your sting? Confident that we are the Lord's and that Jesus stands at that door and he welcomes us and he takes the sting of death away and he draws us to himself. Now, if you're listening to this, you may think, well, great, thank you, Pastor, that you just told us that it's about a personal relationship, but you just talked about a lot of doctrine about resurrection. So what real hope does it provide for us? Well, the second thing you need to know about the resurrection, and it comes out of this passage, is that the resurrection gives us hope when all seems hopeless. The resurrection gives us hope when all seems hopeless. Notice in verse 17, it says four days that Lazarus had been dead four days. Do you know what that means? The Jews had a superstition that they believed that the soul of a body hovered around a dead body for three days. And on the fourth day, the body was dead. The body began to decompose. And here, the Apostle John goes out of his way to mention this detail, that Lazarus had been dead four days to show that indeed things looked hopeless for Martha and for Mary and for all the mourners who had come to join them in mourning his death. But things are not hopeless with Jesus. And those of you, friends, who have had loved ones who have passed away in death, if they passed away in death in the Lord, things may seem hopeless. And grief is the door through which we must enter as we mourn the death of our loved ones. But things are not hopeless because one day we will rise with him together. We will have life again. Do you know that? We are not, as Wadsworth once said, just mere worm food. We are gloriously resurrected to join Jesus in glory for all eternity in the New Jerusalem. And so what does that do for us now? I remember, it was it long ago that I... Um, was being interviewed for life insurance. And I remember the, the questions that they asked me. Have you had this experience? They ask you about your family. How long did your parents live? Did they live past the age of 65? What about you? Tell me about your diet. Tell me about your exercise habits. How many hours of sleep do you get per night? Do you smoke? If so, how often? Do you drink? If so, how much? Do you engage in consensual sex? Do you, do you live a, a, a life that, uh, that demonstrates poor habits? And I remember giving this interview or all this information, and they put it in a death formula. And they returned to me an approximate date of death. It's a very interesting experience. Have you had that before? Because we're all waiting in line. But for us, even though we wait in line, things are not hopeless. 
It reminds me of a friend of mine who, um, his name was Clay Adderholtz. He was the uh, friend, a buddy of mine in a Christian fraternity when I was in college. And Clay was the high school quarterback of Amarillo Tascosa High School. He was an amazing young leader. We all looked up to Clay and the Aggie Men's Club. We called it AMC. And we just thought the world of Clay. And he married one of the AMC sweethearts. Her name was Allison Corabell. She became Allison Adderholt. And not long after we graduated from college, Clay worked in Bernie, Texas for a bank. Unlimited potential. He and Allison had two young children. They were three and five. And one day, Clay took off early from the bank to go play a round of golf. Just one of the many things that Clay did so well. And he's driving his Toyota 4Runner down the country road to go play golf. And a truck veers into his lane and hits Clay's Toyota 4Runner and kills him instantly. And I remember when I got the call that Clay had passed away. And in shock, I bought a flight to go to Austin. And when my friends and I drove from Austin to Bernie to go to the funeral for Clay Adderholt, we remember walking in and being overwhelmed by how packed the church was. It was packed. And because we had made the drive from Austin, we were almost late to the funeral. And so the only place for us to sit was in the choir loft. And so they put us in the choir loft, and we had a front row seat of the entire service. And I'll never forget when we all stood and Allison the widow, mourning her husband's death, came down the center aisle of that church with two young boys, three and five, clutching their mother's hands. And we all stood in anticipation to honor and welcome Allison and those boys into that room. The, the silence was stunning. And Allison Adderholt walked into that room clutching the hands of her two young boys. And she was beaming. She was singing the words of the hymn that the musicians were only playing instrumentally. And I don't remember much about that funeral besides that. I remember a couple of the testimonies. But I remember seeing Allison Adderholt walk into that funeral of her late husband, with her two young sons clutching her hand in hope that death did not hold her husband, that she would be reunited with him, that Clay would one day rise again with his glorious body, a hope that only she can have because she believed in the resurrection. I wonder if you have that kind of hope, a kind of hope that compels you to live with hope amidst the greatest atrocities the world has ever seen, a kind of hope that gives you confidence and courage, even in these days, to live in light of the fact that our God is victorious over death. Friends, we live with a profound sense of hope. That's what the prophet Habakkuk teaches us at the very end of his book, isn't it? Where he writes, after a tremendously difficult ordeal, he writes, though the fig tree withers, and there would be no fruit on the vine. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though the sheep be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Though everything is taken from me, though my family dies, though my money is taken away. I have nothing left, Habakkuk says. Yet I will joy in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
That's the resurrection hope that we have. That when things seem hopeless, they're not. Because our Father has wrapped his arms around us and he has taken that sting of death for us. Job said the same thing. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends, where does that kind of hope come from? If you're with us and you're not yet a believer and you're awaiting in this great line of death with us, would you consider that you pursue the power over death in so many ways that prove worthless for you? That's why you're so exhausted. That's why you're so angry at God. That's why you're so frustrated with people around you. Because these ways exhaust you. We've devised thousands of ways to try to conquer death, but there is only one way to conquer our true spiritual death. And that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. He is the anastasis, the resurrection in Greek. And he is the zoe, he is the life. And it's found in a person. I wonder if you know him. I wonder if you would dare place your faith in him this morning. Friends, we may be divided across this nation in the background of the current pandemic, but we are all united in our fear of death. And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ shows us that in his raising of Lazarus, he gives us just a foretaste. In John, there are seven great signs. With this, I'll close. There are seven great signs of Jesus' power in the book of John, the Gospel of John. And the raising of Lazarus is the seventh. But do you know that there's also an eighth sign? And that eighth sign is Jesus' own resurrection. It's as though John wants us to know that a new week has dawned in the resurrection, that there's a new chapter that there is a new creation in which all of us lived, raised in Christ, no longer in our sins we place our faith in him, victorious over sin and death, because we have been called sons and daughters of the king. And it motivates us in the midst of funerals for our loved ones to sing because death does not hold our loved ones. Victory is ours because of Christ's resurrection. So this morning... Would you know that Jesus Christ has the power over death and he proves that in his own resurrection? Would you also know that he hates death as much as you do? Hated it so much, he took on flesh and he came and he conquered it so that you and I might not experience the spiritual death that we deserve. Our sins can be taken away by faith in him. And he gives us a righteousness that is not our own, a resurrection righteousness because he earned for us a life. He lived a life we could not live. And he died the death we deserve to die. And also the resurrection gives us hope when all things seem hopeless. And it's in these great truths that we begin to celebrate Easter together. We begin to celebrate Easter. For today marks the beginning of a season of celebration for us. So friends, break out the champagne. Toast to your Savior, King Jesus, who conquered sin and death for us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, you say that you are the one to whom we shall come when we have nowhere else to turn because when we've exhausted ourselves, 
of all the other ways we try to cheat death, you remind us that only in your son can death be conquered. Jesus, you say that you are the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me will not die, but shall live forever. Oh, Father, would you help us to place our faith in you? For those who are curious about the claims of Christ, would you open their heart to believe? Would you show them your beauty and your grace? I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us in the glorious truth of the resurrection. And that might change the way we live. It might change the motivations. It might change the way that we counter trials during these days. And it might remind us that even when our situation seems the blinkest, you are there and hope stands because you are with us standing at the door. And you tell us, I have taken the sting of death away. And Father, too, as we think about the way we can serve you through giving, we pray that you would bless the tithes and offerings that are given this day. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, the resurrection and the life. And all of God's people said together, Amen.